welcome to what is the first of, I hope, many, many podcasts about uh, transformation and leadership. And so when I decided to embark upon this journey, I decided that I needed to start this journey with somebody that I admire, somebody that I looked up to, somebody that I consider a friend, and somebody I consider a transformational leader. And none other than Dr. Carrie-Anne Hepburn Malcolm. And so welcome, 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 uh, Dr. Malcolm. This is my first chance to call you that in an official capacity. So I really, uh, I'm really enjoying that, I'm sure. How has that been, that transition and, and you know, now finally achieving your, your PhD? Um, it's, it's been a surreal experience. Um, the day when uh, my professors, you know, said to me, and we now welcome Dr. Carrie Ann Hepburn Malcolm, like the, the name, like it took a while to settle on me. Um, and uh, um, it's, it's definitely a good feeling when I think about the kind of work that was involved in, in getting that. So um, I'm just really grateful. Wonderful, as you should be. So, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast, um, in, in the last few years, I've been working on, on climate action and working on something that I've always been passionate about is women in leadership. And the two areas seem to have converged in that there's a, a lot of information now that suggests having more diverse leadership and more women in leadership leads to better climate outcomes. Certainly at the country level. But there are a lot of uh, folks as well who are collecting data that suggests that it also leads to better results from a company perspective. But one thing that's indisputable is that having more women in leadership of an organization yields to better shareholder results and better returns for that company. And so we need more women aspiring towards leadership. We need more women following in your path. And we need more women who are willing to go through um, not, not an easy journey. And I, I don't ever want to sugarcoat it to make people think that it's, it's an easy journey, but it's something that's worthwhile, not just for them and their families, although it's really important that women aspire towards leadership for their own benefit, but also for the greater good. We are not utilizing the full talent that we have available to us. So it's really important that we get more women into leadership. And so with that, I will ask you to introduce yourself and, um, and, your, and your, your current role and what will soon be your new role. Right. Okay. So um, you, you already said my name, Dr. <laughs> Karian Hepburn-Malcolm. I'm currently the Vice President of Sales and Service at the Trinidad and Tobago Unit Trust Corporation. And I'm transitioning into my newly appointed role as Managing Director of the Guardian Media Group or Guardian Media Limited. I'm so excited for you. What a phenomenal role. And, you know, it's not just that uh, having a woman at the helm of Guardian Media is, is spectacular. The fact that you are, you know, you have embraced this new country and been able to ascend to leadership. Um, I think that speaks so much to the quality of your leadership and the, the mark that you've been able to make. One of the reasons that I decided to start with you on this journey is that um, last year, some friends and I were talking about how do we get more women um, appointed to boards? And so we started collecting this list of, of women who would be good stewards uh, of governance at the board leadership level. And there was one woman who was recommended 
over and over and over that this woman, this woman is, is clearly the kind of woman who should be sitting on any number of boards. And I remember calling you and saying, listen, everybody I call, you're the first name they, they mention. And so, you know, the leadership that you that, that you you possess is clearly apparent to all of the people who who experience you, who see you, who work with you. And, and I think that there's so much that we can learn from, from your kind of leadership. So when did you know that you wanted to, to be a leader? That's a really good question, Raquel, because certainly early in my career, I, I didn't know that I wanted to be a leader. I had no aspiration to be a leader. I simply wanted to be more financially comfortable and stable and to be able to provide for my family, which was predominantly my mother. Um, so um, I, I went into obviously the world of work and I threw myself in. I worked very hard. I worked long hours. And it was actually my leaders who saw something in me. So when I was 25 years old, um, I, I remember uh, my, my CEO at the time, um, Peter Bunting, I was working at an investment bank, Daring Bunting and Golden, and they were going through a restructure. And he said to me, you know, I think you're ready to be the head of private banking. And I was like, what, me? Like, how? Like, <laughs> because at 25, clearly I didn't have that much experience. And usually the team members on the private banking team are the more seasoned bankers because you're dealing with high net worth individuals, you know, individuals and companies with hundreds and thousands of US dollars or the equivalent. And so I, I couldn't understand what he saw in me or what my leaders saw in me, why they'd want to put me in that position. In the back of my mind, I also thought it was wicked. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I entered the room with a lot of intimidation and a lot of insecurity. And as a matter of fact, to connect the dots, that's why I did the doctorate. So I had a first degree, did the MBA, just to you know give myself an edge in the working world. But when I got this leadership position, I thought to myself, certainly no client is gonna take me seriously. The people who report to me aren't gonna take me seriously. I have to somehow have a like a, an, an edge and you know a notch above them. They have the experience, but maybe I can prove that I'm qualified and I'm smart. And so that's what really made me embark on the doctoral program. Now, having done the doctoral program, um, I'm actually glad I did it because uh, I did a doctor of management. And so it exposed me to a lot of research and a lot of studies and a lot of theories around leadership. And it helped to, um, to allay my concerns about whether I could or would be a good leader. I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, a lot of the leadership styles that I saw around me seemed to be leaning towards a more autocratic style, one that inspired fear, um, you know, one that, you know, where seniority, seniority um, hierarchical. Else. Mm -hmm. Right, very hierarchical. Yes. But when I started the doctoral program and I came upon theories that spoke about charismatic leadership and servant leadership and transformational leadership, it resonated with me. It was authentic to who I am. I didn't mm. need to change who Carrion was to be a leader. I didn't need a big stick over my team to be a leader. And so that really helped to mold me and give me the kind of confidence I needed to be the leader I wanted to be. 
And I think, you know, it's, it's really funny. I think when, when we look at sort of the leadership and the way that it's taught, women not only lead in different ways, but are required to lead in different ways because we're expected to be different. And so whereas men can be more autocratic, uh, you know, women have to be more, more um, caring and, and, you know, we, we, we have to be liked in order for our leadership to, 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 to be recognized and for people to accept us as leaders because we're not necessarily the, the mold of leaders that people are used to, especially um, when you're thinking about leading a, a big media group or leading a large financial institution. I remember I met you back in those days at, at, at Daring Bunting and Golding. And, and at the time I thought you just looked young <laughs> and I realized you actually were really young and, uh, but you were incredibly competent and everyone knew it. And I think that's why you've been able to achieve the career milestones that you've had. So um, I love that that Peter encouraged you. Um, what did your parents think you'd become? Um, so my parents really struggled with me. Um, so in high school, in third form, uh, even though I, I had passed for a prestigious high school, Campion College, um, I just felt school wasn't for me. <laughs> I, I think- And now I, here you are with a PhD. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, I think, some of, some of this, the, the pressures that was happening in the background, you know, with my family and with my parents, you know, separating. I think a lot of that was playing on me and I just couldn't focus in school. I, I self-diagnosed myself as, you know, having a, an attention um, deficit or something. So I asked my mom if I could drop out and, you know, go and learn some like technical or vocational skill. But because my mother and my father had been deprived of the opportunity to get formal education. They insisted that I get formal, you know, formal education and then I could do whatever I wanted. So that's why I endured high school. And similarly, in um, university, I wanted to drop out. Every year I had the same conversation with my mother. And she's like, are you crazy? You know, um, so I persisted again to please her. And um, when I finished the first degree, as I mentioned to you, when I got into the, the world of work and I realized how competitive it was, I went back to school to give myself an edge. So it's not because I liked school, but I felt like it was a means to an end. So that's why I continued to pursue education. And I think that that's a, a really viable and, and necessary path for many, many women. But also, I think there are paths outside of that for, for some women as well. So it isn't necessarily that if you aren't educated or if you haven't been educated, leadership is not an opportunity for you. But it certainly does give you an edge. I remember my aunt um, telling me, she says, listen, whether you do it or you don't do it, the time will pass. You know, So you might as well have something to show for the time that you spent. And that, that was probably the best advice that I've ever been given because, um, you know, if, if not for that advice, I, I wouldn't have, have gone on to grad school after undergrad and, and, and many of the opportunities that presented themselves to me wouldn't have, wouldn't have been the case. Mm -hmm. So what's the best advice that you've received? Um, so, I mean, other than the advice that my parents gave me about sticking um, to school and getting an education, and to your point, Raquel, you're right. I think even if I didn't get formal education, I would have figured out a lot of what I know now intuitively. But I do think that having that certification or qualification on paper does open doors. It, it makes it a little bit easier 
it confirms to people that there's something up here. You know, so um, I think that was great advice on their part. And I remember um, my, my, my old boss, Peter Bunting, one day saying to me after I had won some award at DBNG and you know, I was quite elated. He said to me, Carrie, and remember you're as good as your last deal. Like I, I that yeah. totally deflated, um, you know, the, the enthusiasm I felt, but that has proven true in the sense that I realized when you get a promotion or you get a new job, that getting it is one thing, but keeping it is another keeping thing. Keeping it, oh my goodness, huge. <laughs> so, uh, that That is phenomenal advice. Correct. So you're, you're constantly proving yourself and proving your worth and proving that you deserve to keep that position that you just got, you know? So I think that was uh, incredible advice, a good reality check. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, you, you rush in and this is anybody, you rush into a new role and you're like, ah, I've made it. And then you realize, wait, the, the work that it takes to get a job is only part of the work that it takes to keep the job and to do the work and to continue to, to, to excel in that role. So how do you, when you start a new role, how do you prepare yourself for success? How do you, how do you ensure that, okay, now that I'm here, I'm going to use this opportunity to the best of my ability. I'm going to do really well in this new role. How do you prepare yourself? Okay, so I would do as much research as possible about the organization. I would speak to um, peers, you know, people in a similar industry that might be facing similar challenges or you know, going through a similar experience. Um, obviously nothing beats being in the company and, and experiencing everything firsthand, right? But I think the research certainly helps to prepare you and, and, and sets the stage, um, you know, and gives you um, some kind of idea going into the role. Uh, ideally, whenever I start a new role, I don't go in with the intention to make changes from day one. Uh, I give myself usually a 90-day period where I am, I, I'm, I'm observing, you know, I try to, um, I would say almost like an eth ethnographic study um, or, or grounded research where I try to, to submerge myself where I'm, I'm in, the, in the, the mechanics of it. I'm on the floor, I'm rolling sleeves up. I wanna know everything. I wanna understand everything firsthand um, before I make any decisions. Because I mean, the fact that the company is still around and standing, it means that they're great. They're doing something, something right. They're still yes. doing something right. Yes, but that doesn't mean that there isn't need for an improvement Opportunity. or exactly. change or a transformation or, you know, um, new ideas, but I want to understand what's going right and what's not going so right. Um, yeah. So some, some people say to me, but, you know, if, if they're going through, you know, severe challenges and decisions need to be made immediately, won't you do it? I tell people I, I rather measure twice and cut once. I don't want to go in, mm. make changes, shake things up, and then realize that I've made a mistake. So How did uh, you learn that? How did you <laughs> learn that? I know that I have made several mistakes and coming in too excited and, and making changes too quickly. How did you learn measure twice and cut ones? So some of it was by experience and some of it was from reading. Um, mm -hmm. there, there is a book that speaks about the first 90 days of leadership. I actually mm. think that's what it's called. Um, uh, but also I realized just from, a, from a, a human to human perspective, when I put myself in, in you know, the people that I'm going in to leave and I put myself in their shoes. Um, I wouldn't want somebody coming in 
you know, pontificating and know it all, um, yes. not recognizing that I am a subject matter expert in my own right. I have yes. institutional knowledge um, that is this, that yes. is critical, and I want to be heard. I want to be valued. You know, so I, I put yeah. myself in the shoes of the people that I'm going to lead, and I I I ideally let them know that we're in this together. Uh, if we can somehow make what you have done even better, so not that what you're doing isn't good, but if we exactly. can always improve things, that this creates a win-win scenario for both of us. So that's that's the mindset I put on when I I, I go into an organization or when I when I, I go to lead a new team. Yeah, and it could be that part of the problem of the organization is that they've not been listening to the people who are actually doing the work. So it could be that that just just being there to listen and to understand, listen, this is the lived experience of the people who are on the front lines, understanding that and using that knowledge to the best of the organization. I think one of the other things that I've learned along the, the long journey of leadership is that there are times when organizations focus so much on the things that they need to change. They don't focus on the things that need to stay the same. The, the, what I call the secret sauce of the organization. And if you're too busy chasing down the things that need to change and not the things that absolutely give you competitive advantage that you need to keep, you can lose some of that special things. And, and you know, when you're not focused on it, your, your competitors know what it, it, why it is you are in the position that you're in. And so if you lose sight of it, you can lose everything. So I think that's a, a phenomenal way. So is that the first 90 days of leadership, your favorite book about leadership? That, that, is, that is one of my um, favorite books. Um, my other favorite book, which that is, it, this applies to all areas of my life, is a book called Boundaries. Um, mm. <laughs> so um, yes, so Boundaries, when to say yes, how to say mm. no to take control of your life. And this ah. is by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. So, well, I hope um, you're working on your book huh? because we definitely need more, more books written by women. So um, I want, I, I, just so you know that at the book signing, I will be first in line. I don't even care what the book is called. When you write it, I want to be at the first book signing. Well, you're right. Actually, um, let me knock on, on, on wood. I, I should have my first book published this month. Nice, nice, yes. nice. Well, I definitely need to talk to you about <laughs> that. So when you're having the first signing, please, please, um, I, I, want, I want my first copy signed. Excellent. Yes. All yes. right. So you talked about being an empathetic leader, a listening leader, an authentic to who you are leader. Um, how else would you describe yourself as a leader? Um. So I'm I'm very I'm very people focused. Um, there was a point when I thought that uh, being such a nurturing and caring leader was actually a weakness. So, for example, early in my career, I would struggle with you know having to reprimand or correct or worse yet dismiss somebody. Right. <laughs> um, so. I, that's at the heart of who I am, but I, 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 I've learned to leverage those things um, in a way that is useful, not only to, to me, but to my employer, my direct report. So for example, um, let's use the, the toughest scenario, which is if I have to dismiss somebody. Um, usually you see the red flags, you know, the person I, you know, isn't performing or they're not a good fit. And so mm. I, you know, I realized that 
em employing or using the relationship approach helps both the person and helps me. So we start the conversations at the first sign of, of the problem, right? In a very humane way. I'm not doing it to belittle you. I'm not doing it to hurt you. It's just pointing out facts like, okay, do you see this is happening? Is there something that I could be doing? Do you need training? Is it the tools? Like, what is it? Is there something happening at home? Is So a very exploratory, um, you know, relationship-based conversation. And depending on, on how the conversations evolve, if it's something that I need to be doing, I do it. If it's something they need to be doing, we put timelines around it. And we both, we, we would agree that at the end of a particular period that we would need to make a decision. So, um, as I said, I mean, initially, you know, that I thought was, oh gosh, that's the worst thing. That these are the worst qualities a, a, a firm leader, you know, could possess. But I actually found that it's been, um, you know, it's actually a great quality. So I have, you know, employees who have had to dismiss and we're still friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think if you, you one of my one of my best friends is somebody that I dismissed some twenty years ago. But you know, I think if you do it right, and and for me, I feel like everybody is phenomenal at something. And if somebody's not performing very well, they they are as uncomfortable as the organization is with their performance. And and it is, you know, your role as a leader is to open that door to allow them to to embrace the new opportunity that is waiting for them. That's a right fit. And, you know, the two of you just fighting up in this one situation, you know, square peg, round hole is, is not going to make it. And I think there are very, very few instances where it's genuinely a bad person. Everybody's good at something and they have to find it. And, and the sooner they figure out that this isn't it, I think it opens a door. So unfortunately for me, I've never really had a hard time um, letting people go because I, I definitely believe that, that all of the people that I've worked with have been incredibly talented and, and dedicated and wonderful people. They just need to find the right role. Exactly. And, and as you said, Raquel, I don't, I don't think most people get up thinking, let me see how I can fail at work today. Exactly. <laughs> no. No, and you may not even like the job. Some people, you know, they know they don't want to be there and they just trudge along because they're so afraid of the alternative. But you have mm -hmm. to face your fears. And, and, and the, times, the few times that I've been dismissed, it's always been, listen, I knew I needed to leave, but I wasn't ready to leave. And so you need to be kicked out of the nest. And yes. it's a decision that you knew you should have taken for yourself that true. had to find you. Yeah. True. True, true, true. So, so there it goes. Well, you know, I could talk to you absolutely all day and I have a thousand more questions for you. But before I, I miss the opportunity to ask you um, I, what I think is the, the, the most important thing and what this is about for me, I think that we have an opportunity in the region to transform this region. I think we are on the, on the verge of incredible potential that in many instances is either unrealized or not, or not fully realized. I think that we have the ability to transform this world if we have, again, more, more authentic leadership, more diversity in our leadership, and we are paying attention to the kinds of decisions that we need to make to live in harmony with our neighbors and with the planet. And so my, my passion, my, 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 my legacy has to be that I was part of a transformation that took place. And so we all have the ability to transform this world through leadership. And I'd want you to tell me about uh, one of what I know are many, many examples of your transformation journey, creating trans transformation through your leadership. 
Okay, all right. Wow, I'll have to dig deep for that one. <laughs> um, so, so a couple of things, um, Raquel. So you spoke about you know wanting to inspire women to lead, and I would say that, unfortunately, I think the way that many Caribbean girls are socialized, um, we're not socialized to consider leadership. Um, or to focus on aspiring towards leadership. So I think that's the first thing. Um, somehow it's ingrained that you know, males are natural leadership. I'm sure the Caribbean isn't the only place that's guilty of that. So that's the first thing. So you know, you'll find a, a young lady enters a world of work and she's quite comfortable with being a worker bee. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, not necessarily a leader. And then the other thing that research shows is that when leadership opportunities come up that even if a woman is 80 percent qualified for the role for the for the lack the 20 percent that she's lacking yeah. she won't apply <laughs> yeah and whereas a man would be at 20 percent and he'd apply correct the other thing is that they show that most women become comfortable with the idea of leadership post 40. <laughs> You know, so it, it takes us all of 40 years to find ourselves and realize that, hold on, I'm just as competent. I could do yes. this, you know, yes. and then even when a woman gets to 40, depending on what her life circumstances are, whether she's married, has children, that adds a layer of complexity that makes her wonder if she can manage, she can juggle, if she wants to take that on. So I, I, I say all of that to say there are a number of competing forces that almost kind of shackle and hold back a woman from, from from she's a girl to she's you know she's a, a young woman and even as she's a mature woman so i i the reason why i mentioned that is because um you know being in you know a senior executive role as a female as a wife as a mother i get asked the question all the time by you know um young women like how do you do it how did you do it and um I feel like it's my responsibility to share with them that I had the same timidity that you had. I had the same concerns, the same fears, the, 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 the lack of self-confidence, the self-talk, even while I am in the, the, the position, even though I've made it into female leadership, there are days when I still feel less than or still feel like I'm, 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 I'm not good enough. Like Imposter syndrome. Correct. Correct. So I want to tell them, you know, despite the facade, not, not facade, but yes, I, I, I exude confidence and, and so on. But the, the, the self-talk still happens, you know, so I don't want them to think that, oh, she, you know, she is lucky. She has it all together. You know, I, I, I want to remind them that I am still I'm, I'm human and I'm just like you. And in the same way that I've managed to waddle through my fears and insecurities and, and, and made it into a leadership position, they can too. I want to, I, I, I tell them, do it afraid. You won't be ready. You won't know everything, you know, but still raise your hand or better yet, when you are nominated, don't decline, you know, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, your, your daughters want more role models, more examples, you know, yes. of, of a female leader. And so I, I think throughout my career, that's probably one of the most uh, transformative things that I think I do throughout my career, separate and apart from obviously, you know, business accolades. Oh, I, I grew my company 
by X percent and, and, and sales, you know, did this and our funds and the management and so on. But I actually think a, a lot of the transformation, well, certainly that is, is, is important to me, is transforming the mindset of the women that I interact with and the women that see me and the women that I work with. So, um, I mean, that, that's, that's the transformation um, that I would speak about, Raquel, even more than, um, you know, the usual business and leadership um, examples of, of performance. You know, I loved, and, and what I expected that you were going to say, and this is why this is such a great conversation for me, because I'm learning, but I, I thought you were going to talk about the Youpreneur series, which I thought was just absolutely such a breath of fresh air, um, such a, a bold move for you, uh, UTC, and, and talking to all of these young entrepreneurs, but I realized that you're right, it is about telling people, listen, I am, I am in the same shoes, I am also afraid, I am... I, lack confidence at times. I, I don't always believe that, you know, I have it all together and, and, and I still do it because I realize not only for myself, but for you and for everybody else that it's so necessary. Um, a couple of years ago, I was the, I was head of Microsoft for uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And after I left, I had to come back and talk to some young women. And it was one of the hardest uh, talks that I'd ever had to give because I'm looking at these girls who are uh, tech phenomenons. They're 14 and 15, and they're really excited about you know the world and the things that they can do. And I had to say, we failed you. You know, when I was your age, I thought that by the time that I was my age, we would have solved this gender equity thing. And you would be entering into a world of work where you have equal opportunities. And, and, and right now, what I've realized is it's not going to happen organically. It is going to happen with women like you showing up and, and bearing yourself and saying, I don't have it all figured out, but I know that I'm, I'm phenomenal. I know that I'm good. And I know that you're good as well. And I know that you have the capacity and you bring something different and unique and authentically you that is necessary for us to grow and to learn and to develop. So I thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And anytime you wanna have another chat, I am, I am ready and excited and please, don't forget me on the invite to the book signing. I want to buy the first one. <laughs> no problem, Raquel. My question is, who's going to interview you? I know you, you, you say I've done so many of these, but your story is pretty phenomenal too. So we might have it to switch, switch roles. <laughs> I will happily, happily, happily subject myself to my own questions and, and have that conversation. Because I think these are conversations worth having. I think, you know, mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to figure this out. And I've, I've been so fortunate to meet so many incredible people like you. And, and um, yeah, we need to have these conversations. And we need to have these conversations in a public domain so that people have the ability to understand the journey and, and get more information and build themselves up and realize that they have something important to share. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're most welcome. Bye. <laughs> Bye.